Lord is indeed faithful to his people, and one of the ways that we experience that faithfulness every Lord's Day is his faithfulness and speaking to us through his word. Uh, so let's turn our minds and hearts to God's word at this time. As I mentioned in the weekly email message sent out on Friday for this service, uh, one of the important means that God uses to reveal himself through his word is through the names that he gives himself in his word. And uh, one of the most memorable examples of that, uh, perhaps, to us is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. And we're spending uh, four Sundays considering the four names that the Holy Spirit revealed in this verse for the Anointed One, uh, or Messiah. We'll look uh, in more detail at the context of uh, this passage on Christmas Sunday, but for now, just notice that the verse uh, belongs grammatically to a complete thought beginning back at verse 2. So I'm going to read verses uh, 2 through 6 as our text this morning, but we'll focus on uh, verse 6 and the first of the four names. Let's hear then uh, this wonderful word from the Lord to us. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This uh, passage, like uh, most prophetic uh, declarations, is poetic in form. You've probably already noticed that. Uh, your translation uh, may well have these lines set out in poetry to help you recognize uh, that. And, of course, one of the most uh, dominant characteristics of Hebrew poetry is rhyming, but not rhyming of sounds, rhyming of, of ideas, rhyming of thoughts. We we see this parallelism in the last two lines of uh, verse 6 with those uh, names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The two lines are made up of uh, two double names each. And perhaps that's where I need to pause for just a, a moment uh, because I... I am reading that first name as a double name, even though uh, you may be familiar with uh, King James Version. Uh, you may be familiar with Handel's Messiah, which is drawn from the King James Version and the Ang Anglican Book of Common Prayer. And uh, they, they say that these are two single word names, Wonderful, Counselor. 
And uh, I, I very much enjoy the uh, musical meditation on Scripture that uh, Messiah is, uh, but I'm, I'm going to have to disagree and, and say that the context, uh, the, the Hebrew does not really allow us to say that. There's a particular relationship between the, those two words, wonderful and counselor. They're actually both nouns in, in Hebrew, and they're related in a way very similar to the, the uh, last two words in the, that list of names, Prince of Peace. Okay, the, it's the same exact construction there. So, so I would argue that you can actually translate this uh, in a very right fashion by saying, wonder of a counselor. Wonder of a counselor. Uh, let, let's think about that just for a second, okay? I, I, I like the name wonderful counselor. I'm going to argue this, this word wonder is, is beyond just the way we use that word wonderful. Okay? This text is not saying that this anointed one to come, this Messiah, is a wonderful counselor among many other wonderful counselors. Okay? It is not saying that. It is saying he is the wonderful counselor. He is the most wonderful counselor there is. He is the counselor beyond counselors. He is the wonder of a counselor. The wonder of a counselor. That word wonder is used in, throughout the uh, Old Testament in application to God. Okay, They're not free with the use of this word like we are with our word wonderful. Or you may have talked about a wonderful meal on Thanksgiving. Okay. That they, they use the word with much more seriousness than that, and it's applied to God. So, for instance, we uh, see this word in Exodus 15, 11, in that victory song of Moses in that chapter. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? doing wonders. You'll get the idea of the meaning of that term as I go on. Psalm 77, sort of echoing that, that note of victory from the Exodus, says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. See how it's in parallel with deeds of the Lord. These are wonders of old. They're also referred to as your work, your mighty deeds. He goes on to say, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Psalm 78, very similar language. Speaks of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Psalm 89, 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. We hear this term used in Isaiah in the same sense. You have done wonderful things. Or perhaps we might better translate that. You have done wonders. Isaiah 13, God promises this word, I will again do wonderful things or wonders with this people with wonder upon wonder. And in noticing that, that last example, we, we should take note that, that these wonders are sometimes acts of judgment. In that particular context, God is saying, I am going to do wonders of judgment upon this people for their lack of faith in me. 
And so in Lamentations, where Jeremiah is mourning the fall of the city, grieving, weeping, as he looks at the, the tragedy, the judgment that he himself has prophesied, he speaks of Jerusalem's fall as, and most translations say something like, her fall is terrible. But in actual fact, he says, her fall is a wonder. It is a, a wonder in the sense of an, the enormity, the magnitude of this disaster. So the, both the noun and the verb have this idea of supernatural. Okay, in fact, this is probably the, the word in Hebrew that comes closest to our word, supernatural. This is speaking of what God has done when you see these terms. And so we read, for instance, in Genesis 18, the Lord says to Abraham, after uh, Sarah has expressed some doubts about their having a child, is anything too hard for the Lord? And literally, what the text there says there, is there a wonder that the Lord can't do? <laughs> is there anything supernatural that the Lord cannot do? And uh, in Judges chapter 13, there's that very interesting episode where this uh, messenger from the Lord comes to Manoah and his wife to announce a, a miraculous birth. And, and Manoah has the sense that perhaps this is more than just an angel, as we think of the term angel, more than just a created messenger of the Lord. And... and and, and he gets that idea in part from the fact that when he asked for the messenger's name, the messenger replies, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is a wonder? Seeing it is wonderful. Seeing it is supernatural. And in fact, uh, as that episode unfolds and, and this messenger arises in the smoke, of the offering that he has kindled. Uh, Manoah rightly says to his wife, we have seen the Lord. This has been a divine, divine visitation. And, and so, so consistently this word is used of God. So I'm arguing that from the very first name in this list, we know this child to come, this son to be born, is God. God. He is a counselor who is a wonder. He is a wonder of a counselor. He is a counselor. Okay, that's often spoken of in scripture. Of course, counsel is something that we're familiar with, getting counsel and advice ourselves from time to time. And, and so scripture has much to say about where we get our counsel from. It warns us against seeking our counsel from the wrong sources. And so the Psalms begin there in Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not, that, he, that is, who lives, who makes his way of life, not in the counsel of the wicked. 
Okay, there's a counsel to be avoided. There's a counsel to be rejected and shunned. Instead, you're to look to the Lord. And so Psalm 6, 16 says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. The, the, the image there is, is, is perhaps David awaking in the night. Maybe he's worried about something. Maybe he's anxious about something. Maybe he just happened to wake up in the middle of the night. And, he, and he's choosing to, to look to the Lord, even in, in the darkness there. Uh, to, to think about the word of God that he's memorized in his heart and allow that to give him counsel. The Lord promises that he'll do that. Psalm 32, the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you, that's our word, with my eye upon you. Don't you love the personal nature of that? I've got my eye on you and I will counsel you, you in particular, in other words. You in particular. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing, we're told. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. But the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. The counsel of the Lord is always worthy counsel. And so the response of faith is to follow that counsel. And so we read Psalmist saying, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So again, throughout scripture, there's that warning against following the wrong counsel, that encouragement to follow the right counselor. And so the psalmist can say, for instance, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Proverbs 19 reminds us, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose, and literally the word is counsel there, of the Lord that will stand. When you're making your plans, make sure you're lining your plans up with the counsel, the plans of the Lord. Isaiah 11 and a beautiful passage often quoted around Christmas time uses the word as well. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so Isaiah speaks of the purpose of the Lord that will stand against every other purpose. The purpose of the Lord has purposed against his enemies will stand, he says. Oh, we might skip over to Isaiah 28, 29. And here there's an expression that is almost identical to the one that's in our text. This, that is this prophecy, also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. So from beginning to end, I think we, we can say that, that this name is telling us that this one to come is, is God, and he comes to give his people counsel. Counsel. We could look at a number of other passages that talk about that, to say there's no counselor like him, and that 
all of the counselors will fail, but but he will not. We could we could go to the, the New Testament and and think about the the many passages that speak of the the definite plan and foreknowledge of God being carried out. In other words, his counsel, to use that Hebrew idea, is is fulfilled. And be assured that he's working in all things according to the counsel of his will. So, so, so really we have a very simple application here, don't we? Who is your counselor? Who do you look to for guidance in making plans from day to day? Now, you live in a culture of modernism and postmodernism that says that, that you're to look to yourself as the ultimate authority. You're, you're to take counsel for, your, for yourself. We, we see it in all kinds of, of sound bites. Follow your heart. Okay, that's following your own counsel. Be your best self. I, I have no idea what my best self was, is. I, I don't know how to find my best self. <laughs> I've only got one self, and it's not that great. Pursue your dreams. In multitude of ways, the culture is saying, be your own counselor, fulfill your own goals in life. Okay? Come up with that bucket list that you want to follow and find fulfillment in that. You know, there's a saying in, in legal circles, a person who represents himself in court has a fool for a client. I think we could modify that to say a person who looks to self for counsel gets the counsel of a fool. The latest incarnation of this foolishness is on the internet. You may be familiar with that term, influencers. You know. We're all individual. We're all these fragmented individuals on the internet, but we all want to be influencers. No matter how often people th say that they think for themselves, no matter how often you, you hear that mantra, you know, follow your dreams, most people, I should probably say all people, look to others for counsel. People are, after all, relational, social beings. Okay? I mean, from the youngest age, we're imitating people around us. Right? We're, we're taking our cues from people around us. So, so we may be following people unconsciously, like a child who's just imitating without really realizing they're doing it. We, we may be doing that consciously. We may be identifying this person or this celebrity or the, this, this individual that, that we're seeing as ideal. And so we're sort of following them. Scripture, scripture warns us about this, both indirectly and directly. Who you choose as your counselor determines the outcome of the counsel. I remember somebody telling me that long ago, beginning to work with teenage boys with severe emotional problems. You choose the outcome of your counsel when you choose your counselor. Who's the first counselor in the Bible? It's the first first being giving advice. It's Satan, isn't it? Satan serves as advisor to Adam and Eve. Look how that turned out. Sometimes uh, 
a loved one can give us the wrong counsel. Sarah wrongly advised Abraham to have a surrogate child with her maid. And all kinds of heartache and sorrow born out of that that we even experience today. There are some positive examples. Joseph and Daniel, for instance, were good counselors. They were serving pagan kings. They gave good counsel. Nathan, when he confronted David with, about his sin, he's being a good counselor to David there. A good counselor confronts you when you, when you sin. We, we could look at a, a, whole, a whole host of different examples of counselors, but, but maybe close with this reference in Scripture to the book of Proverbs. It's interesting that the book of Proverbs essentially says to you, you're going to choose one of two women to be your counselors. You're either going to choose the woman wisdom or the woman foolishness. And, of course, the outcome of your, your life will be determined by that choice. So you're, you're surrounded by counselors, all kinds of people taking your advice or giving you advice. Just remember that there's, our text says, one counselor who's not a merely human counselor. He does more than an earthly counselor. Okay, an earthly counsel, counselor may tell you what to do, but, but he takes no responsibility for you doing it. But this counselor, the wonder of a counselor, this supernatural counselor, he's the, ones whose, he's the one whose words are powerful to transform you in the shape of his counsel. You see the difference there? The words of all other counselors will fade away. They'll be forgotten. But this counselor says, my words will never pass away. When this counselor came to earth and encountered a blind man, chronically ill woman, he didn't just give them advice about how to deal with that disability and how to have a better self-image. He healed them. He healed them. The words of this counselor healed the sick, freed those who were oppressed by demons, even raised the dead. He did works of greater supernatural significance than any of these physical miracles, though, because his words are words of eternal life. All the sick people that Jesus healed died eventually. But those who were given eternal life through listening to his words, the words of God, that he said our spirit and truth, those gained eternal life. Here is the counselor we're to look for, to listen to. Is he your counselor? Perhaps you're calling him your counselor, but take a moment and honestly look at your life. Have you fallen into the sin of just of reserving Final choice to your pleasure? Are, are you calling him your counselor, but really 
spending far more time seeking out the opinions and advice of others than you are in reading and carefully considering his word. He has counsel to give to you here. You need to, you need to put yourself in it. And when you read the scriptures, are you, are you forthrightly hearing God's counsel to you, or are you picking and choosing what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe? Are you claiming Christ is your wonderful counselor, but really making your decisions on the basis of what works for you right now? You can't have it both ways. You can't serve both your material, earthly prosperity and God. You've got to choose your counselor. Now, you may, you may be saying at this point, I, I understand what you're saying. I know the counsel of the Lord is best. I, 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 know, I know his truth is what I ought to follow, but, but, but I don't have the strength to do that. Okay. I don't have the strength of character. Well, that's right. That's true. You don't. But it's actually good that you recognize that. The scripture says... Don't trust in your strength. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 5 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Don't, don't seek to combine the counsel of the Lord and your own efforts. Okay, instead, realizing that, that the, the good news of the gospel is that the wonderful counselor who comes to speak truth into your life is the one that through his Holy Spirit enables you to live in that truth. The Lord is pleased to show his strength in the weakest in this way. Remember Psalm 8, 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So don't look to yourself for strength. But keep looking to the Lord for this strength, for this, this fortitude, this perseverance to pursue his counsel, his will. Go through the Psalms and look for the, the places that, that you can make your, your expression of faith in this way. For instance, Psalm 18, here, here are words you could pray. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn that is the power of my salvation, my stronghold. You see the, the psalmist relying there on the strength of the Lord. Or Psalm 18, who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. And set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Look to the Lord for your strength. Psalm 68, ascribe power to God, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Psalm 105, 6, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. We could just... They go on and on. They're, they're all throughout the Psalms. Or go to the, the prophets and, and hear the wonderful counselor's words of encouragement and 
the prophet's response of faith. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Isaiah 30, 15, thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. How about this beautiful passage from Isaiah chapter 40? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It is this supernatural strength that the Lord pours into your heart as you trust him that enables you even to go through the hardest of times. Listen to Habakkuk's prayer at the end of his book. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. If everything falls apart, we don't even have enough to eat. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Hear the admonition of Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Equip yourself with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All those are weapons that God supplies to you, not that you supply for yourself. Remember that that you're to strive with all your might to follow God's counsel, to live a holy life. But remember that it's the Holy Spirit in you that enables you to do that. Philippians 2, verse 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Put your all into it. For, because, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is the one that puts you into your heart the will to follow his counsel, and he is the one who gives you the strength to follow that counsel wherever it leads. You know the greatest wonder of this wonderful counselor? <laughs> It's the wonder that he draws sinners to himself, isn't it? He draws sinners to himself. He makes himself wonderful to them. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you, that you would make yourself wonderful to us. That we would abandon all our vain and useless attempts to make sense of our lives, to run our lives, to, to choose our own way. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you, to confess, Lord, when we rely upon our own wisdom, we make a mess of our lives. We ruin our lives and the lives of others. And, and, and having, having confessed our sin, then to look to you as the wonderful counselor who, who has turned our hearts toward yourself, Show your wonders to us, Lord. May we fall more deeply in love with you as the wonder of wonders. The one who has who shown grace and mercy to sinners like us and drawn us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.